0: Welcome to Eat This Scroll, a University Fellowship Church podcast. My name is Chris Moore, and I'm happy to have you with me, wherever you're at today. You brought me along. We get together about twice a week, usually, and chew on God's word, talk about what we are active and involved in, and how we are growing and being challenged in our faith and our ministry, wherever God has placed us. And this week, we have a special guest. I finally got her in, Jane Camerselt. Welcome, Jane
1: Thank you so much, Chris.
0: So happy to have you here. So you are on, just so our audience knows, because we've had you on mm, twice before. Yes. Yes. You are on the outreach board and you're kind of like the the chair. Yeah. So like the, the gal who's kind of the face of it, the go between that kind of stuff. But I know there's a lot of faithful people who are serving there alongside of you. And, uh, one of the things that we had talked about was how you just, in fact, one of the reasons why I couldn't get you on here was you weren't even in the country. Where were you?
1: I was in India and Cambodia.
0: Just a quick jaunt over there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hit Cambodia on the way back. Yeah. <laughs> I figured I was in the neighborhood, so why not? Yeah.
0: yeah. And Cambodia is a new addition to the UFC body, right?
1: It is. The ministry partners we have there were already supported by Emerald Bible Fellowship, Mm -hmm. and so we took them on
0: Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, so you thought, I'm over in India, I'm going to take this chance to meet our ministry partners over there and see what they're about.
1: Exactly. One of them, Mary Haig, who's been there the longest, was in country last summer, so she and I met and got along famously. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady. And it worked out for me to stay with her oh, and wow. then use that as a jumping off spot to, to see the other ministry partners there.
0: Mm-hmm. So how many ministry partners in Cambodia did you visit while you were there? Four. Wow. We
1: have four in country and then we have two that are based in the U.S. but have operations in Cambodia.
0: Mm-hmm. So four different groups. Are, do these represent churches or like individual missionaries?
1: They... Our combination, Mm -hmm. Mary is supported by OMF, Mm -hmm. Overseas Missionary Fellowship, and we have others that are with different mission boards. One has a after-school program for kids. Mm. Another one is at the University of the Nations, which is a YWAM campus. Okay. And then we also have some Action Cambodia Bible translators.
0: Oh, wow. No kidding. That
1: was very interesting to see what they do. They're part of AIM, Mm A-I-M, and that's a subset. And I was curious, why do we need Bible translators? Isn't that something Wycliffe does all over the world? Mm -hmm. And then as I got to understand Cambodia better and their history, I saw the need for that. And it was really uplifting to visit with them.
0: Wow. Okay. So, obviously, this is a, a whole different world over there. Um, but what are some of the things that you observed that um, were big takeaways or things that surprised you about the Cambodian people and the ministry and the work they're doing for the kingdom over there?
1: I think the biggest surprise for me was that their food is not spicy; it's very plain. <laughs> and I just came from India.
0: I would not have guessed that. I
1: wouldn't have been there. I was really amazed because you think of Thai food, you think of spicy food, and the food yeah. was very. Not spicy. Huh. A
0: little uh, anticlimactic.
1: (laughs) It was, it was. So then other than that, what I was disappointed by was my lack of understanding of their history. Mm. I thought that I knew something about Cambodia's history and what I knew was very, very little. Mm -hmm. And so understanding where they are today because of where they've been since the 1960s and 70s was a huge learning curve and understanding for me.
0: Yeah, and that's really important because if you come in without context, you're going to be shooting downrange and missing all of your hits.
1: Exactly, and understanding the the need for the gospel in that country because of the trauma, literally, mm-hmm. they've had due to different political situations. It's It's over the top. Mm-hmm. It was something that... I was, as I said, disappointed that I didn't know more of this earlier. We all heard about the Pol Pot regime in the 70s, and Mm. I just kind of out of sight, out of mind, and it's like, yeah, that was a couple years, that was over, and, you know, things must have gotten back to normal. When I got there, there's nothing like a genocide museum to sort of set you straight. Whoa, yeah. And I learned to understand just exactly how far back that country went And now how far back they've come and are coming. It was amazing. And so I really have an incredible respect for the ministry partners there and who they're working with and what they're doing.
0: So we always have a propensity to bring our own lens to bear on anything. You know, we want to solve problems the way that we would solve them in our own lives. But what are some of the unique challenges with their history in mind that you learned about?
1: Well— Mary Haig was a wonderful guide for me to understand a little bit of the soul of Cambodia. And if you were to sum it up in one word, it would be trauma. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of trauma in that country. And because of the political things that happened and so many people were massacred, a big result of that is a total disenfranchisement and a total lack of trust between people. Mm. And, When you have traumatized parents raising kids, you've got a dysfunction there that is something that we don't really relate to here. And again, I'm not disrespecting anyone of the Cambodian people. Mm -hmm. What I found was very lovely, kind, gentle, warm, very, very nice people. And what I understand from our ministry partners is, yes, that's true, yet because of the trauma, there's a distrust of their neighbors Mm. so one of the first ministry partners i visited was in a province about an hour and a half south of phnom penh and that's a funny story because a driver picked me up so it's me and this driver and i spoke less cambodian than he did english (laughs) (laughs) there's a little yeah we're an hour and a half we're an hour out of town and he turns to me and says location with a question mark and I, like, looked at wait a him. Minute. Yeah. I said, do you know where you're going? And he shakes his head. No, he's just been
0: driving. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, he knew the direction he was going. Okay. But I'm thinking this could be really bad. It's me and this person in an area that I have no idea where I am. Mm-hmm. But I asked him, you know, when you have this kind of communication, it's one words. Yeah. Thing sentences. So I said, hotspot. spot? And he did have a hotspot, so I was able to get on my phone and text the people that arranged for him and said, he doesn't know where he's going. Can someone please help him?
0: Oh, my goodness. And within
1: 30 minutes, we were at our location, which was off a dirt road. I don't know how anyone could have known where that was, but he found it. Wow! And that's where I met with um, Beth and Chun, who have a an after-school program for kids. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, that's nice. But what about the rest of the families? Mm-hmm. They are in a community of 70 families where over 35 are drug addicted. Wow. I said, why are there so many drugs out here? What is what is it? And they said, this is a province where there's a lot of factories. Mm. And sometimes people use these drugs, and they might even be given these drugs, to work harder. And so the drug problem there is just ripping apart the community. Wow. And The ministry there is to the kids. Obviously, it's to the families, Mm -hmm. as the families can, but it's mainly the kids because they're the ones that are sober. Yeah. And they said, you wouldn't believe how this has changed the communities. Again, a need I would not have perceived, Mm -hmm. but they do. And to see how they touch these kids was really wonderful. They have an after-school tutoring program. They have some English classes. They have lots of different activities. It's a safe place in the neighborhood for the kids in a neighborhood where there's lots of fences around the houses, mm-hmm. where they said in this neighborhood, people don't trust each other, wow. and people steal from each other because of the drugs. And it's it's like a lot of places probably here in the U.S. too, mm-hmm. and they are that bright spot in the community, and it was really lovely to be with them.
0: That's incredible. All because of a after-school program. Yes.
1: Yes. And- what was really fun was when I did a little tour of their home. Mm-hmm. Up in the attic were these Operation Christmas Child boxes. And I said, oh my gosh, I've put these together, but it's really fun to see where they go. Yeah, And they had several of them. This was in October, so they would be giving them out at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And Chon said, as a child, I received these. I went, Whoa. oh, that's neat. What I did not know was that when you get an Operation Christmas Child box, at least in Cambodia, and mm-hmm. I think it's other places as well, you also get three months of discipleship training. Wow. So they have three months worth of like Bible studies with for the kids that get these boxes. Wow. I did not know that. And I, I was really fortunate to meet the woman that is the head of Operation Christmas Child in Cambodia, hmm. and she helped write the curriculum for these things. And she was... A, or is an amazing person. So wow. I'll tell you a little bit more about her in a minute. But I really want to encourage anyone that's ever done those o- Operation Christmas Child boxes to see these things really do have impact and it's not just because you put a few little gifts in. Mm-hmm. There's a follow-up program that's very well structured and executed with them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it can it can be easy to to send off your contribution, you know, and think okay, I'm doing something meaningful and then never really have it cross your mind again. But you're getting to see, you know, you've seen the sending, you've seen the receiving, and then the generation of impact that that's having over there.
1: Yes, yes.
0: That's incredible. So you talked about the resistance to um, trust and like community over there, at least in that, that context. How does that pose unique challenges? And did you get a read on how they're meeting that for the gospel? did it make people resistant to having some sort of interaction that would pave the way for, for the gospel's impact over there?
1: Chris, that's a really deep question and (laughs) I don't have an answer for it (laughs) because I wasn't there that long. Yeah. But I think the, the probably inherent answer is yes, Mm -hmm. but I didn't see exactly that. Yeah. When I was with the ministry partners, I was more wanting to know what they do and how they do it. Mm -hmm. And so that, Larger question, I think it's woven in with their work, but that particular one, I can't really address it. Mm -hmm. What I can say is when I went to Batambang, which is the second largest city in Cambodia, it's a six hour drive away from Phnom Penh, I was at the University of the Nations, which is a regional training center for YWAM, used Mm -hmm. with the mission, but they call it the University of the Nations. They have over 120 people there, Hmm. and they are training them to work all over Asia. And they are very mindful of their presence in that community, so they open up their whole campus to the community to use for soccer tournaments. They also have some after-school programs there. So I think just their work is similar to Beth and John's in that they're trying to engage and connect with community members. We didn't discuss the issue of trust specifically. Mm-hmm. But I know that that's part of their ministry is to to be a good neighbor and to really be intentional about reaching out. Mm-hmm. What was fun was going to their church service, which had over twenty nations represented there. Wow! And fortunately, we had at least for me that week we had an English speaker who then was translated, so I didn't have to put on the translation. Mm-hmm. Devices for me. But what I see there is an intentionality about getting workers out into this area. What I'm hearing is that there is quite an openness to the gospel. Wow. Because it's such a positive, obviously, a positive message. Mm-hmm. And the people that are bringing it are different mm-hmm. in those communities what we're very interested in on our outreach team is supporting local people doing their work. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't be prescribing what that work is, but just trying to understand what the work is and then asking them, how can we support you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, just in lieu of my previous comment about the lenses we bring, that that seems to be pervasive in how we view missions and outreach as well. Were there uh, presuppositions that maybe over years you've seen or on this specific trip you've seen really challenged and that have been adjusted as far as how we've traditionally viewed what it looks like to go and serve a community?
1: Well, I've spent a lot of time and taken a bit of effort to understand sort of what I call the new way of thinking about missions. It's not that new because it's It's been changing for the last 20 to 30 years, Mm -hmm. but I am the product of a missionary who went to Japan for 60 years, Mm -hmm. and indirectly through him, I came to Christ. I did missions work myself, and I started learning, probably my first aha book was The Hole in Our Gospel by Richard Stearns, Mm -hmm. former president of World Vision US, who talks about the North American mindset of missions being, we're going to going to give you something to help you with your deficiency Mm -hmm. we're going to build something for you we're going to make something for you we're going to address your lack Mm -hmm. and there wasn't always or if any input from the recipient Mm -hmm. well that is being turned on its head and now missions is very much about listening to understanding from and coming alongside and actually behind the people that God's called in those countries to do the work. Yeah. And so that's very much our model in India that we support Indian people that are serving their own people and they're doing it their way. We do help them with some advisory Mm -hmm. things, maybe some best practices, but we're really not prescribing what they should do Mm -hmm. because we don't get what they should do. They get what they should do. So I, I think if there's one big change, it's, it's the mindset from going from thinking a service project mm-hmm. and going and building something is missions mm-hmm. to really looking at it from the point of the recipient. What are they getting? I'm not disrespecting people that go and build something. We have sure. some wonderful people that that do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to question motives or start calling it service project versus missions sure what i'm looking for is for people to check their own heart when they're doing these why are you doing it and what does the recipient really think of it Mm -hmm. and there's some books out one is on my reading list i haven't gotten it yet but it's different chapters from different recipients of these mission efforts in different countries and how that's been helpful and how it has not been helpful. Wow. And those are the the kinds of things that I try to inform myself on. Mm -hmm. So that way we don't inadvertently do something really stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because what I have found in these other countries, of course, I'm the American guest. So people, I do have privilege. People are very deferential to me. Yeah. And what I find is that it is so common in these cultures for people to not tell you when something is not helpful. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really have to pull it out of them to find out that, okay, that really didn't work. Mm -hmm. And I think it's incumbent on us to learn ahead of time before we embark on some kind of endeavor to really do what we can to inform ourselves, to ask the right questions, but also just to understand what really works and what doesn't. I think one of the biggest problems we have today with American missions is we have foster dependency on our money for mm. people to get things done, and they can't even think about doing something outside of getting American dollars. And yeah, we are complicit in that and, and yeah. i I think it's time to rethink that mm-hmm. because it it's not helpful and it's mm-hmm. not healthy
0: yeah, I think that there's there's clearly a a, a positive heart somewhere in there, but then there's a lot in there that could be, um, could be driven towards this is the easiest solution is to send money or to send these things. Uh, and, and while it, like you pointed out, these are important things. These aren't the most important or most impactful things that can be done to serve the kingdom in these other countries. I think, and I think you'd probably agree that it, it probably takes a lot of humility to walk in and and assume I am the one who doesn't know because it's, it's probably easy for us to go, well, we're, you know, we're not a third world country. And so we've got pretty good idea about how things work. And then you walk into somewhere like that and you, you go, well, let me tell you all the ways that I can fix this for you.
1: (laughs) You do. I know on my second trip to India, let me back up. My first trip to India was just to, observe Mm -hmm. and basically it was shell shock because the country was so different in a wonderful way but it was just oh my goodness the second trip was more to really try to listen and try to observe and what i saw i needed to do was to suspend my thoughts of what i thought was right and wrong Mm -hmm. in a lot of areas not in the gospel area of course But as far as just some cultural things Mm -hmm. and as far as the way people do things, I have such biases and prejudice about, well, this is the right way to do it. This is the way you should parent. This is the way you should relate to each other. This is the way you should. And then I realized, and I think God really was merciful to me and he showed me, you need to just suspend all that. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to really serve these people, if you're going to really love them, you need to just check that stuff at the door. And so I do. And I found that it made it, it much more easier for me to see and understand when I backed off of constantly thinking, Oh my gosh, what are they doing? <laughs> what are they thinking? Yeah. And and I realized it's not like we have it together here in the US. Right. That's just my norm. And so if it's off of that norm, then I think there must be something wrong with this. Mm-hmm. And I had to really get off of that. In my trips to Guatemala, which I go with a medical team, mm-hmm. I'll be going for my tenth time in in March, wow! I learned quickly, we don't have it as together as we think. There's a lot of real pluses here that these people in this culture have. Even though there's a physical lack, there's another piece of things that they do in the way they do them that we can actually learn from. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to have that attitude when I go to any different country is to think, what can I learn from them? Mm-hmm. And that helps me to be, I think, more effective in relating to ministry partners.
0: Yeah. I especially love, uh, especially Latin American cultures, the communal aspect of it and the, the tight-knit familial relationships that they have, the hospitality. You know, we can tend to be uh, individualistic, and there are parts of that I like. And there are lots of parts of our individualism that I don't like.
1: <laughs> that is so true. Just a little aside, after I— Went to Cambodia. I literally visited six countries in two months because I was also in (laughs) Egypt, Jordan, Singapore, and Qatar. That's it,
0: Jane. (laughs) But
1: but by looking for what can I learn, what can I glean, that mindset has really helped me. Mm -hmm. It not only helps you to relate to people better, but my eyes are just more open for what's something that they have that we don't have? Mm -hmm. What's the way that they look at things that we don't? And I just find that it's, a lot more interesting than always thinking that the American way is the right way.
0: Yeah. How do you see those skills translating here? Because not everyone's going to become overseas missionaries, um, obviously, but uh, all of our listeners, for the most part, I do see the statistics, and we've got a couple out of country listeners, which is kind of fun, but the vast majority are part of this local body. Do these skills translate over here? And if they do, how?
1: Well, they do if we want them to. <laughs> and when we want them to, it's really amazing because we can look at our neighbors that don't have permanent housing mm-hmm. and we can realize, you know what? They're people too. Mm-hmm. They have thoughts and dreams and hopes and, and they're no less than we are. Mm-hmm. They're no less than I am just because they're not in permanent housing. Yeah. So I have found that that really helps me to be much more open to a lot of different people, it's funny because it's not like I've arrived. I mean, those biases, they, they're they right <laughs> you there. You sorted it
0: all out, right, Jane? <laughs> no, no, not at all.
1: It's pretty sad when now you know better. And it's like, do you always do better? No, yeah. I don't. I try, but I don't. Yep. And so I've just found that I can really dial that even back to closer to people that maybe I don't like so much. <laughs> and yeah. I can realize, you know what? They have value too. Mm-hmm. They have worth. They have something to contribute. Mm-hmm. and. When I can look at people that way, it's like, oh, maybe that's how Jesus wants me to look at them. They're amazing as well.
0: Yeah, not with the eyes of our flesh or this world.
1: (laughs) Or or just the way in our country, everything is so ranked. Mm -hmm. It is in other countries, too, so I'm not putting the U.S. down at all. Mm. The good thing about leaving here is when you come back, you appreciate so much that we have here. We have a lot of real positives here. Yet everything's ranked mm-hmm. you're either better or worse better or worse yeah. and you know that's not how jesus looks at us mm-hmm. and and i think that's what he wants to change in me is to just have things be a lot more level
0: yeah well there's an, a piece in there that is attached to the idea of the imago day right we're made in the image of god and there's a dignity that comes in that
2: Exactly. you
0: know we're all fashioned to be reflections of our creator and ambassadors for his kingdom and um, when you live in a place where everything looks the same and it's a place you're familiar with it can be hard to remember the others the ones not like me are those very same image bearers that i am and the people i'm familiar with are
1: it is. And you know that Imago Day that sounds really great. It's very noble, especially when you're in a third world country. Yeah. And then there's somebody like a family member that pushes my button
0: oh, and man. all that goes out nope. the window. <laughs> nope. No image you got here. I'm going to put them on blast. <laughs> <laughs> it,
1: it will be a lifelong process and yeah. luckily God has eternity to help shape me to be more like him.
0: Yeah. Uh, but, and I appreciate you saying that because when you when you really stop to consider even just the fraction that we can without exposure, it can be really overwhelming to face these things. But remembering we're all in process, you know, you can go to six countries in a couple of months and, um, you know, make multiple trips and you still feel like I'm still just getting a handle and still struggle with some of these (laughs) challenges.
1: Absolutely. My heart here in the United States is that we can, lean into overcoming these things with our neighbors that don't have the same skin color that we do mm-hmm. and that don't have the same, it's not just the same cultural background, meaning immigrants that are here, but sure. our own United States citizens that mm-hmm. are here. I have a real heart for unity among different ethnic groups and sure. different races. And it it sounds kind of cliche and kind mm-hmm. of noble, As I am learning about the divides that are there, I feel like I'm just a babe in understanding why these things are this way. And the Mm -hmm. more that I learn just about our own U.S. history, the more I realize I've got some work to do for understanding. And I've got some work to do to check these biases.
0: Yeah. Yeah, every person has a culture every person has bias every and i think uh one exercise that i've just recently taken a look at is i i'm gonna mispronounce it but i think it's genomics genomics, and it's the idea of taking inventory of your own why you think the way you do why you feel the way you do and really getting to the bottom of decision making and, and personal biases and, and prejudices as well of course but um I think the more we can step away from those and into a gospel perspective on things, a lot of these other things start to reconcile in ways that our flesh wouldn't cooperate with prior.
1: What I found for me is that the more I see I need to work on, the more it can be discouraging. Mm -hmm. But we as believers, we've got the shortcut Mm -hmm. because the Scripture. If we really do follow the Scripture on how we are to treat people and how we are to look at people, and especially knowing that God— has forgiven us and he mm-hmm. loves us unconditionally. We have sort of the fast track to be able to do that. Yeah. And so I am really hopeful and I'm encouraged that I don't have to feel overwhelmed by, oh my gosh, I've been thinking this all my life, but I can really lean into what does the Bible say and, and just let the scripture soak into me mm-hmm. and let let the spirit inform me on how I should relate and how I should live and and disregard those fiery darts that tell me that you're blowing it or yeah. you're not getting it or you mm-hmm. made a mistake. But, you know, I really, for me, what has worked is leaning into the Word on what does God say, His truth about who I am in Him, and then also who my neighbor is in Him. And that really gives me a lot of encouragement.
0: Yeah. Amen. We've got a good Father Amen. We do. Well, Jane, this is a delight. It's always really encouraging to get to visit with you, even just not in this context. Obviously, that's when we do most of our, <laughs> our visiting. But um, just to hear about what God is doing in these other countries and and the privilege of you getting to share that with us in, uh, in you know just a small 20-minute or so little time. But it's it's valuable to me, so I appreciate you making the time.
1: Thank you. I just feel honored to be able to do it, so I really appreciate your
0: time. Yeah. Course, my pleasure. Well, listener, there's a lot to chew on here. Um, a lot of things that we can be encouraged by and grow in. And I know personally, I feel both of those things encouraged and challenged. So hopefully, you take some time to pray about it, search God's word, and consider how do you view your neighbor, how do you view those people around you, and and what do you view as your responsibility in treating them with gospel, the gospel in mind, and God's word in mind. Um, so. Chewing on that? Yeah. And we'll get you on the next episode. Bye. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you to our guests for coming and sharing what they've been chewing on in God's word. We produce these podcasts and release them twice a week. So, please subscribe so you don't miss out on one. And don't forget, love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples.